Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello everyone, Bing on 12 midday here on AusBiz Australia's only live streaming business and markets channel. That's Eastern Daylight Time, of course. We kick off the afternoons as usual with the call. Two experts, 10 stocks you've suggested. I chuck one in and uh, it is all done in 60 minutes. It's a lot of fun and uh, it's great catching up with our experts who have a wide spectrum of different investment strategies, different thoughts on how we should be looking at the share market and individual stocks. And that's what I love about it because we get such a diversity of opinions. And joining us today, Henry Jennings from Marcus Today and Howard Coleman from Team Invest. Good morning or good afternoon, gents. How are you, Henry? Good week so far? Good. A good week, David. Thank you very much. It's always fun in the markets, as we uh, as we know. Volatility provides opportunity. Yeah, how common? There's so Henry's right. There's so much going on at the moment. You've got earnings figures. You've got updates. The whole lot. It's sort of truth or dare time, isn't it? Yeah, and of course, the the most interesting time of the year is when companies report, and we get that four times a year in the US, twice a year here. And um, uh, they coincide at this time of the year as they do one other time. And that's terrific because you actually get an update from the businesses you've invested in to find out how they've actually been doing as a business, which in the end is what drives their share price in the long term. If the business is doing well, the company will do well on the stock market in the long term. And if the business is doing badly, it won't. So it's great to get these updates. And as Henry says, it also creates some extra volatility, which is also fun and creates opportunity. Uh, you know, boring days where there are no companies reporting and no movement on the market, uh, might as well go fishing. Yep, exactly right. Well, we've, we've got a flood of it. <laughs> hey, in the um, real, di- real diverse list of stocks we're going to cover today in the first half hour, uh, Dexas Convenience uh, REIT, uh, Pacific Current Group, I don't think that's ever come up before on the call. It's an interesting one. Adbury, uh, PSC Insurance and Technology One. Uh, stock of the day. Let's go back to reporting season, as Howard was saying, as um, companies sort of reveal how it's all been going. I thought we'd take a look at this. Probably hasn't been a bigger dog on the share market or a, a more unloved stock on the market for the last two or three years than AMP. It has been battered from pillar to post. Uh, it reported today shares on the rise as a result, reporting a full, um, look at that, up 3%. It's cracked a dollar for the first time in a while. Um, uh, despite reporting a full year net loss hit by non-cash write-down, so they're continuing to write uh, stuff off their balance sheet. Stripping out one-off items though, profit was up over 50% helped by lower outflows from its flagship fund management arm. No dividends been declared either. Is this finally the turnaround for AMP that all its investors have been waiting for? Or is it a false <laughs> dawn? Henry Jennings, what do you think? Has the, <laughs> is the ugly duckling starting to grow a few feathers and turn into a swan? 
Uh, Koshi, I think you're being unfair to some of the other dogs in the market as well. Uh, there has been a few. Uh, Newick springs to mind oh, as yes. well. Um, that, that, that's that been a, a, a perennial, well, since it's a big, big float, it's been a big dog. AMP, though, is a, is a tricky one. I always compared it to the actual AMP building, which sits on Circular Quay. And for a long time, it was under construction, uh, similar to the stock itself, similar to the company. It has now been revealed in all its glory. And if you drive over the Harbour Bridge or you look at uh, the, sky, the Sydney skyline, you'll see the new AMP bit, which sits behind the old AMP bit. And again, that is a metaphor, I guess, for what's going on at AMP. And Alexis George is in, I guess, a race to some extent to try and uh, push the company towards the back part of the building uh, with the new bit and give away the old bit. The problem that AMP has, apart from the fact that it is a dog and it has a number of multiple problems and even a, a 3% rise today, let's face it, uh, is hardly the stuff of turnaround stories. Um, it has been bid for before, but the good stuff is all being demerged and the good stuff is all kind of uh, of interest to other players. So you get this kind of uh, scenario where the carcass is being picked apart by the hyenas. And certainly within AMP, AMP Capital is one of the big uh, attractions there. It's going to be called Collimate Capital. There's some fantastic marketing there. Um, but um, <laughs> you've got to say, there are just easier stories and easier turnarounds. There's still a lot of moving parts in this business. It's still suffered some serious reputational damage over the last few years. If you've been a shareholder of the AMP, you have suffered like yep. no other company shareholder, I think it's fair to say. Uh, I, I still think it's problematic. I still think that there's still you know, problems with the write-downs, the problem with the wealth division, uh, the AMP capital with the likes of Shane Oliver, quality business doing really well. Somebody's going to snap that bit up, um, but then what are you left with? I mean, that's the trouble. Um, you know, it's possible that someone might come along again and have another crack at it as a sort of a whole um, sort of exercise, take the whole lot over and divvy up the bits. That is always possible. But I just think, you know, in this market where there's so many opportunities, there's so much volatility, do you really need to buy this one? I'm just not sure. Yeah. I think if you're a long suffering shareholder, you're probably going to hold because it is showing signs that uh, maybe we're going to get a turnaround. But to be honest, we have seen these signs before. And it has all ended in tears. Yep. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's um, it's a hold at best. But really and truly, it is a carcass being picked over by the vultures or the hyenas, I think, right. at the moment. So 5.42 down to a dollar five. that five-year chart shows you just how miserable it has been. But, Henry, a lot of vulture investors would say, oh, you know, uh, first sign of a bit of a turnaround. But what you're saying is, and this is the important thing for investors, to understand it's not going to be turning around the old AMP because a lot of the good bits have had to be sold off to keep it afloat. Yeah, that, well, that's, that's the, that's the problem. You're just going to, that, that is the big difference. You're just going to end up, it's a bit like um, uh, years ago, there was a thing called Macquarie Infrastructure Group and there was yeah. good MIG and bad MIG. <laughs> Uh, good MIG became uh, transurban effectively over time, and bad MIG 
ended up be called uh, Atlas Arterial. And all the dodgy assets, which were at the time considered dodgy, uh, like the uh, the French toll roads, etc., and some of the, the Dulles Freeway toll road as well, were all stuffed into Bad MIG. Now, Bad MIG was a rehabilitation exercise and it did a fantastic job. And Atlas Arterial is now kind of one of the great infrastructure stocks, I guess. So you can see there is turnaround potential. But, but you know, at the end of the day, you know, there's so many good stocks out there, yes. so many opportunities, yeah. so many stocks issue. have been beaten down. Do you really need this one? Do you really going to put your hard earned into this one? I, I, you know, yep. Good point. go play somewhere else. Because Howard, as you always say, you've, you've got 20 or 30 stocks in your portfolio. Um, and oh. along Henry's theme, do you really need something as complicated as this? No, you know, uh, there's so many better things to choose from. I think Henry's put it pretty eloquently. Uh, why would you want to be invested in this? Put the stock market aside for a moment. If I came along to you and I said, uh, I have a private business that's been doing worse and worse and worse year after year after year. We've undergone half a dozen restructures over the last 15 years. None of them have really worked. The business has just got worse. We've sold off all the best bits. But um, wouldn't you like to buy a piece of this business? You wouldn't even bother asking me the price. You'd say, what are you wasting my time for? What do I want to buy into something like that for? Now, um, that's the case with AMP. I mean, really, uh, uh, Henry's pretty much said it all, and, and yeah. why bother? Um, there are far better places to put your money. Okay. Um, Howard, is Dexus Convenience Retail REIT one of those better places to put your money? Uh, Faye wants to know. Of course, it's a real estate investment trust. Invests in, what, 112 different service stations, around uh, Australia. They have the convenience stores attached to them. I notice they're, they're chucking things like Hungry Jack's on the same site now and sort of fast food as well. Um, what do you think of Dexas Convenience Retail? Yeah, well, you asked if you thought it was a better place than AMP, and I think the answer to that without hearing the name of the company is the <laughs> usual answer is yes. Um, but does it make it one of the 20 best places or so that you could put your money, or if you really want to have a lot more stocks, maybe 30. And the answer is probably no. You know, REITs of any type um, do particularly well when interest rates are going down because then the cap rate of the properties they own go up. The reverse happens when interest rates rise. So when interest rates rise, the value of the properties, not immediately the day after the interest rates rise, but the over time, the value of the property, when interest rates are rising, the value of the properties goes down. And that's going to be the case for all the REITs listed on our market and other markets. On the assumption, and I think most people would agree, that we're going to see multiple interest rate rises. How many? I really don't know. But certainly interest rates are going to be significantly higher in a year or two's time than they are today. And on that basis, most of these REITs are not particularly good investments. They've got relatively low return on equity to start with, so they never pass our filters in Team Invest. Um, this one's got uh, minimal debt. Its earnings have been growing, but it's easy to grow your earnings when uh, the capital value of the properties you're buying is going up. Um, that's not the case when they're going down. So, uh, no, it wouldn't be a company that Team Invest members would be enthusiastic about because we wouldn't pass our filters. Um, and 
but it's certainly a hell of a lot better company to put your money in than uh, than AMP. Right, um, Henry. Um, well, it certainly doesn't pass my filter in terms of excitement value. Uh, that, that's for sure. Um, you know, REITs, uh, as Howard rightly points out, uh, have been doing very, very well in the current climate. Low interest rates and property going through the roof. So the revaluations have been staggering in some cases and have driven prices higher. Now, the question, of course, the $64,000 question is what happens when rates go up and maybe those property valuations don't come through. Uh, that remains to be seen, but certainly that is a risk across the sector for REITs. Now, as far as uh, Dexas, I mean, they're pretty much, uh, they're, they're out there as one of the top managers of uh, these sorts of assets. So that is a serious tick in the box. They have a decent yield, not franked, of course, 6% roughly in terms of yield. Uh, brokers are relatively positive on this one. It's not very exciting. I guess, you know, long term, you have to be concerned about what happens to the humble petrol station, the humble, humble forecourt, uh, and all these kind of food outlets uh, when we're all charging our electric vehicles at home with our Tesla plug, etc. So that is a, probably a, a, something to think about for another day. But it's not very exciting. It's probably a hold for a relatively conservative investors. At least when you drive along the road, you can see your assets to some extent. But how it is spot on in terms of those uh, property valuations, low interest rates have been driving this sector. And we have to wait and see how things change uh, when we see okay. interest rates higher. And they will they will be higher. So it's probably a hold at best for a conservative investor looking for some income, perhaps. Okay. Uh, Henry, Scott wants a view on Pacific Current Group. Um, uh, Scott says a broker was running my portfolio at the time and put me in uh, quite some years ago. It probably fell by half, uh, but over time has, uh, has come <laughs> back to... Uh, we've all been through that, Scott, um, but has come back to near my purchase price. The time since March 2020 has been pretty good for the share price. I don't see any news about it much, and I don't think it's been covered on the call. Uh, what's the view? Well, it hasn't been covered on the call. It intrigued me. Uh, it's um, insurance. Um, it's uh, um, um, invests in boutique fund managers, doesn't it? Uh, 15 yeah. of the different ones um, that manage globally. What do you think of Pacific Current? Um, you're, you're right, Koshi. This one isn't really looked at a lot. And I have to admit that uh, I had to check the stock code uh, for this one when I uh, did a little bit of research on it. And one of the problems, one of the reasons why I guess it's not covered an awful lot is the volumes tend to be quite small. Uh, so that does hinder things. This is a, a, a kind of a... Uh, a boutique asset management company and one of their boutique assets that they have under management they do have a stake in a thing called GQG which uh, was uh, listed recently which gave the likes of PAC a bit of a pop on the back of that uh, I'm just putting up the chart so I can see it but they did give them a little bit of a pop on the back of that uh, listing yeah. I've got to say it's yeah it, it I, I worry about the liquidity in these things because you don't want to get in and not be able to get out. Um, they can be a little bit volatile at times because of that. Um, certainly there are some people that are quite um, quite bullish on this one, but I, I, not really me. I, I can't get excited about this one, I must admit. But uh, certainly the GQG shareholding is interesting. They have got funds under management growing around 5%, so that's also good. But, um, yeah, 
hard to get excited. So okay. I, I think, that, yeah, hold at best. Okay. Howard? Yeah, uh, like Henry, I never heard of the company and had to look it up. And having looked it up and discovered what it does, a boutique asset manager, um, my immediate reaction was, oh, similar to Pinnacle. And when you look at its metrics, though, they're disappointing. An asset manager you would expect would have very little in the way of a requirement for equity or debt, so it would have high return on equity. And this one doesn't. So if you compare it generally to asset managers, asset managers generally have very high return on equity. This one's got low return on equity. Earnings have been growing. Um, it's got no debt. So the other metrics look reasonably okay. But as Henry said, uh, uh, you know, the fact that I hadn't heard of it meant I had a quick look and said, how much has it traded? And the answer is not much. Um, and certainly comparing it to Pinnacle, I would say if you want to own one of these companies, Pinnacle certainly looks the better one. And this one wouldn't pass our filters because it doesn't pass the return on equity filter. Okay. All right. Uh, next talk, uh, Chris wants a view. Howard on Adbury, the old Adelaide Brighton cement, uh, established in 1882. As you head down the Port Road in Adelaide towards Alberton, the uh, traditional home <laughs> of the Port Adelaide Football Club, the cement works on your right as you go down. It's like it's like Port Adelaide's Taj Mahal. Um, <laughs> the the cement works and, there. And Next to ICI Chemical Works. There's some reason why you perhaps drove have driven down that road a number of times. Oh, a couple of times. It's the old stomping ground, the old uh, family home down there. Uh, it's Australia's second largest supplier of cement um, and the largest producer of lime. I didn't realise. Not in that you have in your um, uh, in your Mexican beers, but uh, um, but the uh, that goes into cement. What do you think of Adbury? Well, uh, interestingly, you know, very, very few companies last more than a human lifetime. And just the fact that it's been around that long is a tribute to the various uh, boards and management it's had over so many years. But over the last sort of seven, eight years, it really hasn't performed terribly well. Uh, its return on equity always used to pass our filters, doesn't anymore. It's now below 10%. Earnings per share has dropped from being about 30 cents a share in 2015 all the way down to about 18 cents a share most recently. That's not a good sign. Um, debt's fine. Um, so it really seems to have uh, lost its competitive edge that it used to have. Possibly the reason for that is there's been a fair bit of friction on the board with the largest individual shareholder um, also having another company that produces similar products and um, has been gradually increasing their stake uh, in uh, Adbury, or uh, Adelaide Brighton, as it used to be called. And, you know, when, when things on a board aren't totally happy and everybody isn't mm -hmm. pulling exactly in the mm -hmm. same direction, it's not usually a good sign for the business. So that may be the reason why. It may not be. I haven't been following it that closely recently. But it, it used to pass our filters. It used to be a company in Team Invest that we regarded reasonably highly. Most people didn't have it in their top 20, but it was one of those sort of fringe ones that got talked about occasionally. But uh, it's fallen out of favour since the uh, clear board disputes were going on. And while they seem to have papered over the cracks, 
every now and then a bit of an argument comes up again right. and uh, on that basis we've steered clear of it. Okay. Um, Henry, massive building boom at the moment, massive infrastructure boom, should be selling heaps of cement. What's happening? Should be, should, should be yeah. shouldn't they, uh, Koshi, that's for sure. Um, and, and certainly going into an election cycle as well, which is going to be uh, lots of pictures of high-vis and hard hats and, and announcing these wonderful infrastructure projects with cement being at the core of that. Uh, you would think these guys are well-placed. I guess the problem is cost pressures. Um, it's, yeah. It takes a bit of energy and a, well, it pollutes a lot as well to actually produce cement. Uh, there's a company to, called Calix, CXL, which is trying mm. to help with that. Uh, they've built a, uh, a new process around the calciner, uh, which Adbri are actually trialling uh, to see if they can get down their emissions. Uh, this, this one's cheap. Um, in terms of its 10-year sort of PE, but there's always a reason for its cheapness, and I think Howard has nailed the reason for its cheapness in terms of uh, Barrow uh, properties having a significant holding in that and a significant uh, interest in um, other business ventures, shall we say, and, and the board sort of um, ructions that have taken place. It, it does look cheap. Cement is obviously crucial to the infrastructure boom that uh, I guess we've been uh, hearing about for so long. I remember charts from Craig James of Comsec putting up these massive uh, infrastructure boom charts and it was all going to happen. Um, lots of announcements always, but I'm not sure it always does happen quite as quickly. I, I think for me, it, this kind of falls into the AMP basket again. It, it looks cheap. There's a reason why it's cheap. Uh, it's got some attractions because it does have some gearing to the cement market. But let's face it, you know, it's a bit like uh, Simic. It's all very well winning contracts and delivering cement, but if it ultimately costs you money to do so because yeah. of cost pressures in the system, then you know it's, it's you know you're, you're pouring cement that's not very um, not very profitable. So yeah. um, I think for me it's a bit of a um, I was going to say no, stuck in the mud, but um, it's just yeah better things elsewhere. Can't get excited. Um, okay. I have a mate that does the IR round. They're only probably on the phone to me in a second saying, "How dare you? How dare you dis?" <laughs> my our company and you should come and talk to us and come to Adelaide and talk to us and then you'll see why but at the moment yeah I can't see why okay all right uh, Henry Ellis wants a view on PSC insurance I don't think this has come up on the call before either it's an insurance roll-up um, but mainly in the United Kingdom it seems a, its biggest operations are there rather than here yeah I I, I got to say Koshi this is the this is the first one, I guess, that uh, has shown reasonable promise. Again, it's not the most highly traded. It's not the most highly followed of stocks, mainly UK-based to some extent. Uh, they do have some operations here. But it's an insurance broker, and, and you know, insurance broking in the UK has traditionally been quite a good little business, I have yep. to say. Um, and certainly, you know, when you see what we're seeing here with inflationary pressures, that will feed through into insurance premiums. And I know some are rising quite considerably. And it's relatively easy to see a growth path for a broker because they just tap on their little bit. They take their little stake. Uh, they take their little cut. Um, so I don't mind this one at all, I have to say. Um, they've reaffirmed guidance recently, which is positive. Um, and uh, they've refinanced their debt. So that's also a positive. But it is a roll-up. You do have to be uh, a little wary of roll-ups at these levels. It's had a good bounce um, it, as I say, it's not the most liquid of stocks, um, that's for sure. 
um, again, you know, that there's not a share has been traded today. Right. That tells you something. So, you know, that, that's, it's, that's problematic for me when you've got no liquidity, because if you want to get out for whatever reason and you've got 100,000 shares, well, good luck with that. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. It's, um, and it, it's uh, institutions are the same. So um, it's, it's a, probably a hold because insurance brokers tend to do quite well, especially when you see rising insurance premiums and those inflationary pressures come through. But uh, not the most exciting again. But uh, it's had a good re-rating from sort of 350 up to uh, 450. It probably needs to hover around there, but it just doesn't trade very much. That's the problem okay. as usual. Howard? Yeah, um, as uh, Henry was saying, um, it passes generally, the sort of filters we look at, uh, it passes return on equity, its earnings are rising, its debt's reasonably low. Uh, that all looks good. And insurance brokers um, do do, or in fact, any ticket clipper, anybody who's clipping the ticket by taking a commission does well when there's inflation because they don't have to do anything about putting their prices up. Um, the uh, services that they're providing that somebody else actually uh, worries about put their prices up they get the same sort of percentage they were getting before, except it's a percentage of more dollars. Mm. So they're pretty immune to inflation. So from all those points of view, it looks good. Two things that I would point out. Uh, one is it's for, they, they're investing effectively far away. And um, there's always risk involved in doing a roll-up far away from your home base. Now, I'm sure they've got executives in the UK as well who are looking at it, but still that adds a little bit of risk. And all roll-ups have the risk that each succeeding uh, purchase you make in a roll-up needs to be a little bit bigger than the previous ones in order to move the dial by as much as the previous ones because you've got bigger. And that means when you finally get one wrong, it's invariably the biggest one that you bought up till that time that lands up going wrong. So the damage is larger than it would have been. Uh, otherwise, so um, but certainly past all our metrics, I don't know the company at all well, but it looks good enough. Other than short amount of history, only listed for six years, um, it'll probably come up in our uh, twice a year triage. Our next one's in March in Team Invest, and they're bound to be some Team Invest members who want to look at it. But the fact that it's so thinly traded will probably mean that most members will say, right. "Nah," uh, as Henry said, you know, we'd want to buy quite a lot of it, and if we bought that much. Uh, how would we ever get out if we wanted to get out? Yep. Okay. Uh, Vic wants a view on Technology One, the big uh, software provider, mainly to, to governments, local governments and big corporates. Um, uh, Vic says, uh, I know Howard's been a big fan of Technology One. It's uh, pulled back from its $13.50 peak in November. Is there any fundamental reason for this fall in its share price? And would you consider it to be in a buy zone or does it have further default, Howard? Yeah, in fact, not just a fan of it. I've actually owned uh, shares in the company for more than 10 years and have periodically added to it whenever the share price went down and the PE ratio became as low as what I first paid or roughly the same as what I first paid. So I've got quite a decent sized stake in it today. Uh, as do probably 400 of our 550-odd Team Invest members. It's one of the most widely, I think it probably is, the most widely held stock by Team Invest members for very good reasons. We know the company really well. We understand the business. 
it's got a sort of trapdoor moat that once it's sold to a government or education authority and they start using it, they tend to use more and more modules over time. They don't easily change to use anything else because changing would be extremely painful um, to make all the changes. So it's a business that's growing well. It's UK business has now just become profitable recently, and that's going to uh, have the potential eventually to be bigger than the Australian business. Takes some years to get there, but it's growing. All very positive. Um, possibly why the share price has dropped is twofold. Number one, anything considered technology has been hit a bit recently um, because there's so many so-called technology companies that never make a profit. Well, those aren't real businesses. This is a real business. But its PE had got very high. It's probably come back to more or less reality now. The second thing is the proxy advisors engineered a vote against the remuneration report at their last AGM. And the AGM comes up in a few weeks' time, and the proxy advisors have once again written stuff. This time they say they're the two main ones that they're going to vote for the remuneration report, but they explain the things they're unhappy with. And in fact, much of what they say they're unhappy with doesn't make sense. Uh, the second thing is, why would you vote? Why would any proxy advisor with any sense about business recommend to vote against the way management are paid when the management has delivered and continues to deliver outstanding results for shareholders? Now, I'm a big fan of changing um, how management are paid in companies that are doing poorly, because how could you do worse? If that management leaves, maybe you get better management anyway. But if the company is doing wonderfully well and delivering for shareholders year after year after year, what do you want to rock the boat for by telling the management that the way they mm. paid doesn't fit your little tick boxes that you have in your proxy advisor uh, offices? Uh, our members of Team Invest, in fact, jokingly refer to proxy advisors always as poxy advisors. They leave out the R. Um, and to me, it's completely absurd that they should okay. even consider that. So, so would, I'm a big company. Would you be adding at these levels? Yeah, in fact, it's reasonable. If, if it got below $10, I'd probably be adding some more myself. And I think quite a lot of Team Invest members would have taken that far off $10, got down to about $10.10 a, a week or so ago. And uh, if there's another down day on the US in tech stocks, it could easily get below 10 But even at today's prices, if you bought and kept for five years, you wouldn't be unhappy. But uh, it's it's slightly above its average PE over the years. If it got below about $10, it'd be on about its average. Anything below that, it's starting to get nice okay. and cheap. Henry, what do you think of Tech One? The question is, Koshi, do you feel lucky, punk? And this is the... <laughs> This is the question, I guess, at the moment, is that we've seen this big tech sell-off in the US. We've seen Meta uh, crater, and some of them have bounced, and the NASDAQ has bounced. And, of course, yep. Technology One has been a casualty of this sell-off. So the question now is whether this tech rebound that we've seen, extreme volatility that we've seen in the tech sector, is over or whether it is a dead cat bounce. As Howard rightly points out, this is a real business. They make real money. They've been around a real long time. They did they did nothing for an awful long time. They were sort of 465 bucks, did nothing, went sideways, 
Uh, then they had a bit of a rewriting and they got a bit carried away. I think 13 bucks is a bit carried away. We do tend to see stocks and indexes move to extremes. We, we have this momentum sort of trading mentality now, which means that things get overdone, not just to the upside, but also to the downside. And I suspect Technology One has got overdone to the downside. And as Howard says, around 10 bucks, certainly I'd be dipping my toe back in this one. It is a good business. They've got a lot of cash. Um, it's not the cheapest, but then what technology stock is, but it is a real business. They make money, they make profits. Um, and I think this is, you know, between, what's it, 1060 at the moment, I'd yep. say, you know, you're starting to get into buy territory. For me, this is a, um, I know we do, you know, buy, hold, sell, but th this is a buy. It's certainly an accumulate, but I, I'm still not convinced that the NASDAQ fall is over. And of yep. course, tonight we have the CPI number coming out uh, from the US. So it is potential again for more volatility. I think that's going to be the hallmark of 2022. But around 10 bucks, 10.50, I'd be starting to nibble away at this one. It is a quality yeah. end of our tech sector. And we don't have many tech stocks, let's face it. When you look no. around Australia, you know, we get all revved up about, you know, what's going on in Meta and that Meta's crashed. We've got nothing that even comes close to Meta no. or Amazon or Apple or Google or any of these behemoths. You know, the best we can do is afterpay. Yeah. Come on, yeah, yeah. you split your pay into and, force, you know. And, and what, what you're saying, that this is a quality stock too. Um, yeah. You know, you, you're not, um, who do we have? Uh, Carl Capolinga from Think Markets going through charts the other day and his advice was sell into the bounce, the tech bounce, because the charts just look horrible. Um, and he thinks there's another leg down. But even if there is another leg down, and you nibble at tech one now, you're, you're nibbling at a quality one rather than yep. nibbling at a dud or a high risk tech stock. And that that's sort of the yeah. difference, is it? Most of those uh, this techs one hasn't even bounced. Yep. Sorry, yep, Henry. I said this one hasn't even really bounced. Yes. I mean, it's bounced yeah. from $10.10 to $10.60. So that's really, that really is a dead cat. That's slamming it into yeah. the pavement and rubbing yep. it in. Yeah. Um, you know, it's um, so, so I think there's potential to scrape it off and uh, and maybe okay. pump it back up again. Good. All right. Let's uh, recap the uh, the first five stocks. Uh, AMP, a definite no from um, it's staying at ugly duckling from both uh, Howard and Henry. Although Henry's saying if you've ridden the share price down, you might as well hold it because it's showing some sort, sort of life. Uh, Dexas uh, Convenience. A no from Howard. Um, for Henry, it's only for very conservative investors who uh, who want um, are in there for some yield. Uh, Pacific Current, um, a no from uh, a really thinly traded, so really no interest um, from the guys in in Pacific. Uh, Howard says it's a bit like a pinnacle. Um, but Pinnacle is much better. Adbury, a no from both. Uh, PSC Insurance, a hold from both. And Technology One, like the company, if it gets down to around that $10 mark, if it's not far off, it's worth get, uh, having a look and getting into buy territory. Um, our, uh, here on the call, we uh, have been following our own fantasy portfolio since the uh, 1st of July 2020, where up about half a percent for the week, down about 4% for the month. Um, and since inception, back in July 2020, up 
Uh, as I've been reminding everyone from the 1st of March, we're going to change the fantasy portfolio um, uh, slightly. We're going to turn it into, a, um, if you like, a, a, a live um, high conviction fund um, based on a smaller basket of stocks. The first filter of stocks to be considered will come from the call on a daily basis. Any stocks that gets a unanimous buy from the panel uh, or a unanimous sell. Uh, then goes to an investment committee uh, who will decide whether those stocks go in or out of the portfolio, but <coughs> they'll take into consideration changing weightings of the portfolio. They'll have a discussion about it. If they need to speak to a chief executive of one of the stocks, we'll get them into the investment committee to uh, answer the questions and we will um, broadcast it as well. So you get an idea of how portfolio management and strategy is put together um, and go inside the investment committee. So that will start on the 1st of March. At CMC, we've been in the game for a while, and although a lot of things have changed, our mentality hasn't. We aim to give experienced traders the best trading experience, like our expert platform with its second-to-none trading tools, plus our pricing is completely transparent. That's why people who've been trading for a long time stay with us for a long time. So if you're serious about trading, switch to the market leader trusted for over 30 years. Trade CFDs your way at cmcmarkets.com. You don't own underlying assets. Consider relevant PDS and TMD or information memorandum for CMC Pro accounts at our website. Uh, this half hour, the stocks we're going to be covering, Codan, Meridian Energy, uh, Molus, MA Financial Group, uh, HT&E and GUD. Uh, Matt wants to view Howard on Codan. Uh, he says it's a bit of a favourite of yours. Um, uh, he's a long-term shareholder, uh, sold a tranche at $19. The price has halved since then. Fundamentally looks good. High return on equity, low debt, high insider ownership. Is it worth topping up? Of course, Kodan uh, does the, the metal detectors, the gold detectors is its traditional product, but has been making some acquisitions to, to boost its communication side uh, technology um, to bring a bit of diversity, I suppose, into the, into the company's products. Uh, Howard, what do you think of Kodan at the moment? Yeah, I think it actually started in the communications and went into the mine detection later, which became yep. a bigger part of the business. Um, the viewer said that a favourite of mine, I've actually never owned it, but it's passed the Team Invest filters for years. And quite a few Team Invest members do own it. And um, it's not that I don't own it because I don't like it in any way. Somehow or other, um, when finding my 20 that I was or so that I was going to be owning, Somehow, the Kodan never got onto the list. It's been on my watch list a number of times. Um, it's got, as the viewer says, a high return on equity, low debt, its earnings are growing. All of those things are positive. It's on a pretty low PE of about 16 and a half trailing PE, which is also encouraging. I'm not aware of why it's uh, dropped in price. It sold off one small part of its business to somebody else or agreed to in about June. I presume it's settled since then. Um, but uh, I'm not aware why it's moved down that much. There'd be other Team Invest members who followed who may know better than me. But it certainly looks good enough that I would say uh, on all the metrics I'm looking at that at these prices it probably looks like quite a good buy. But it's probably a good idea to Google and see what other news there's been about it um, just to make sure there wasn't some reason why it's not looking 
as good share price wise, but otherwise it looks terrific. Yeah. So, and, uh, okay. Uh, and and Matt, to say you sold a trench at nineteen dollars, you're just showing off because uh, that that was the peak of the market, uh, down to nine dollars. Um, Henry, what do you think of Kodad? It's an interesting business, another South Australian business, a bit quirky, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it is. Well done, Matt. Got to say, yeah. nailed it. Um, maybe he should be on the investment committee. Uh, as far as um, Kodan goes, uh, it's it's one that I bought for uh, the Marcus Today small cap portfolio only because I was hoping for a rebound. It hasn't. The problem came last October when the company basically had their AGM and uh, did warn about uh, problems. Uh, the stock dropped like a rock from 13 bucks to 10 bucks. Um, and has really struggled to gain much traction ever since. They made a number of acquisitions and they also missed uh, some of the estimates uh, that brokers had. And hell hath no fury like an analyst scorned and an analyst that's got it wrong. So uh, there hasn't been too much good news out of uh, Coden or out of the uh, the broking community onto it. Uh, there are some, some positives. It's made some acquisitions. Uh, it's made an acquisition of a thing called DTC and Zetron. Um, but uh, we've yet to see the benefits of that. It is bumping around the bottom. As I say, I own it. I'm down about 14% uh, since I bought it, so that's a suboptimal outcome, I have to say, but we, uh, we all get things wrong. Um, I'm hoping for a bounce, but um, we need to get a little bit more information about how the acquisitions are going. I think that's going to be the key driver in it. Uh, given that uh, you know we're in a mining boom at the moment, the gold uh, business is going pretty well with Aussie gold at 25.50. Um, it's not a bad place to be, but um, the market's fallen out of love with this one. Tech weakness doesn't help. Um, and it is kind of, as you say, Koshi, it's kind of quirky. Mm. You know, metal detectors, it, to me, it sort of sums up, um, you know, some guy on the beach with, um, with a hat <laughs> and glasses wandering around with his wand trying to find a coin or trying to find somebody's ring that they've dropped. Uh, while they've been uh, swimming. So it is a bit quirky, but um, I'm going to hang on to it only because I'm, I'm a, can be a bit stubborn sometimes. And there certainly is some upside, no. I think, from these two acquisitions recently. No, stubborn. Can't believe it. Me? So, so, so I hold for you. I remember uh, talking to the chairman uh, at the footy because uh, it's a South Australian-based oh, yeah. company. And he was telling me you would be stunned at the number of metal detectors they sell to African villagers when yep. the gold price is up and <laughs> all the villagers stick some money in and they get a village sort of metal detector and go out prospecting. So, so it's, it, it, it is it, funny. Well, as they say, it takes a village to raise an idiot. It takes a village to uh, buy a metal detector. To find a gold, to find a gold mine. Um, all right, uh, Henry Cassie wants a view on Meridian Energy. This is uh, um, a big New Zealand energy retailer, but um, their re renewable energy uh, supplier. They account for thirty-five percent of the country's electricity. Uh, yeah. Uh, really not for me and it goes back to previous discussions about liquidity there's only sort of 26,000 traded today it is a New Zealand company they have sold off uh, their Australian assets recently uh, of course they're into all the renewables solar etc uh, on that basis it, it's great but um, you know I think it's a bit sad that we have so many of these uh, New Zealand companies that list over here uh, and they can't really get much traction back home in terms of their own uh, stock exchange, but yeah, uh, 
just yeah. doesn't really pass in terms of liquidity. But um, it, it doesn't look bad value here. It's probably a hold if you've got it. But otherwise, again, it just comes down to, you know, if you've only got a certain amount of money to, to, to invest, I was going to throw, say throw around, but if you've only got a certain amount of money to invest, um, there, there's lots more low-hanging fruit that are easier to get in and get out of than uh, Meridian Energy. Sure. Um, Howard? Yeah, um, it's, you know, it's return on equities never exceeded 10% in the entire time we can look back over 10 years. And um, that's because it's a utility. And in the end, the New Zealand government is not going to allow its electricity suppliers or its uh, energy suppliers to make too much money. Because if they do, uh, the population will vote out who's ever in government at the time. So it's never really going to do particularly well. It's going to be pretty much guaranteed, you'd think, from making losses, because if it's losing money, the New Zealand government will let them put their prices up. But you know, anything that's a regulated industry like this um, doesn't land up being particularly good from an investing point of view. So it's not bad, and you'll get a bit of a return in terms of dividends. But as Henry says, you know, uh, with limited amounts of money that people have to invest, you want to pick things that are going to do a lot better than being in a regulated utility. Okay, all right. Um, Henry Tesh wants a view on Molus Australia or MA now, um, run by Andrew Pridham, chairman of uh, the Sydney Swans. Um, uh, Tesh <laughs> says, I've uh, uh, seen it compared to Macquarie I believe it has a long runway for growth. Uh, how would it compare? Um, and I'm really keen to decide on the, on the two. It was referred to when it first floated, was it, as sort of a, a mini Macquarie Bank type thing. They, they have a, uh, a similar business model, very aggressive, very investment oriented. Yeah, uh, Koshi, I think you know, we've obviously got an AFL theme going at the moment, but one of the only... Uh, <laughs> One of the only um, commonalities with Macquarie is it starts with the same letter uh, in the stock code, um, and that's probably where it finishes. To be um, to be honest, I mean it is in the same business. I mean, let's face it; it's an investment bank as well. Yeah. Uh, they manage assets, they do deals, they are aggressive. Um, so yes, in that respect. But Macquarie, I mean, where do I start? I mean, Macquarie is is a class act, um, and it has pivoted uh, way before it was trendy to pivot from sort of those. Um, those uh, capital markets facing businesses which are far more volatile into uh, fund management, assets under management, infrastructure. Uh, Molus hasn't really done that to the same extent. It is also a fraction of the size. It is a quality business and they're quality people um, and they do manage assets, one of which is Red Cape, uh, which they had a big revaluation of and certainly the numbers in terms of uh, EPS growth um, don't look bad and you've got to remember that we are in an environment now where uh, deal making is, uh, is is pretty ripe. There's there's so many deals around M and A activity, so that is good for Molus. I certainly wouldn't be chucking it out, but I don't think I would compare it to Macquarie, uh, which you know when you when you talk about stocks to own forever, and we've had this discussion around the yeah. desk at Marcus today, is what what would be the one stock you would own forever? And I, I think it used to be CSL, but the, CSL has gone a bit doggy in the last two or three years. Um, Macquarie seems to be the one that pops up, and I can't disagree with that. But um, I don't think we've ever mentioned MAF in that same, okay. uh, which would you own forever. Okay. It's How also thin as well. Yeah. Howard? 
Yeah, I mean, on the same sporting theme, um, when I grew up, I was a very keen cricketer, and I actually had the same bat as Graham Pollock and Barry Richards uh, at the time. But somehow or other, just being in the same game called cricket and having the same bat as Graham Pollock and Barry Richards <laughs> didn't somehow equate. And, um, you know, I sort of averaged uh, maybe 10 or 15 with a bat, and these guys averaged 60 with, with, with a bat, and they were playing at a much higher level than me. If I'd played at their level, I don't think I would have lost at three balls. So, uh, you know, to say because it's in the same industry, it's, the, it's a similar business, well, you know, depends who's running it and uh, who the players they've got and how well they run it. Um, looking at its numbers, they don't look that bad, but, you know, it's got relatively high debt. Its earnings haven't really been growing much. In fact, they earned more in 2017 and 18 than in 2020. Um, return on equity just scrapes in our filters. Um, I couldn't get enthused about it, and I don't think Team Invest members would. And in fact, it's only got four years of proper history, which is a bit too early to really know if they're well run as a listed company. Um, to know if they're going to be well run or not. Okay. All right, James Howard wants a view on HT&E here, there and everywhere, the old APM news and, uh, and media company uh, in the outdoor advertising space um, here in Australia and New Zealand, some radio and digital assets as well. Yeah, um, and I think the problem that uh, any of the companies in these sort of media have is unless you have a particular thing like we have here on the call, that encourages a particular viewership to come to you or listenership or, or whatever it is, um, the digital uh, advertising space, space is now being uh, taken over by real behemoths. And um, it's hard to see, uh, you know, the question we always ask about every company when we want to know is it a potential wealth winner, can we be virtually certain that earnings per share will be materially higher five years from now? And I don't think we could answer a yes with a company like this. So its return on equity is very low. Um, from that point of view, it doesn't look good. Its earnings have been, are significantly lower than they were a few years ago. It doesn't have much debt. So uh, uh, definitely a no from us. Okay. Uh, Henry Howard brings up a good point with the digital side. You, you talk about Facebook and apparently Facebook has cratered because uh, Apple have changed their privacy rules on their phones so Facebook can't get the access to your data from your phone that they could in the past. So Apple's a bit higher up in the food chain uh, with the device to access <laughs> Facebook and, and Facebook has been snookered by it for once rather than they snook yeah. everyone else. <laughs> yeah, I guess you know if, if you're uh, if you're under 25, you've obviously seen the demise of Facebook anyway, because uh, yep. most young kids only use Facebook for uh, events and inviting people to places. That seems to be their primary use. Otherwise, yeah. it's all Instagram. Or to communicate and, with uh, grandma. And snap. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly to communicate with with grandma or, or in my case, uh, grand granddad. Although I don't have any of those yet, but I certainly have uh, adult kids. So um, yeah, no, it's it's all about um, delivering content to people that is the content they want, I guess. Uh, here, there, and everywhere, they run radio stations, and I suspect have suffered because advertising revenue is down. Uh, we're not in our cars. We're not travelling to work. We're not listening to Kiss 
uh, on the radio. Um, we're not listening to our favourite radio stations, and that is affecting maybe not the number of ads, because every time I turn on commercial radio, it, uh, you seem to be bombarded with ads, but maybe the quality of those ads. You've gone from advertising Toyotas to advertising the, uh, the shop down the road. Uh, which the shop down the road is not going to be paying as much. So I, I can't get excited about this one, I must admit. There is scope for media consolidation. They also have a, a shareholding in a thing called Soprano, uh, which uh, analysts are quite uh, quite hot under the collar about because they think that's going to be a winner for them. But uh, I, I find it hard to get excited about this one. The other thing that's hurt them, I suspect as well, is the growth of podcasts, Koshi. Yes. Because podcasts are, are, are kind of taking away some of that traditional radio audience. And that really is tailored content. You can listen to a program that you want to listen to about things that you're interested in rather than listening to some yep. overpaid uh, DJ uh, prattling on and trying to be funny, which very few of them are, I have to say. No. But, um, yeah, it's a no from me, I'm afraid. Koshi? <laughs> You're getting old and grumpy listening to Triple M there. Um, near <laughs> ABC all the way. Oh, ABC. oh, yeah. Um, Neil uh, wants to view Henry on GUD Holdings, the big automotive products group, oil filters, air filters, uh, fuel pumps and the like. Gave an update recently, 32% uh, rise in revenue, but a big fall in profit. They've cut their dividend. Um, again, talking about supply chain issues and, uh, and input costs. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, this, is, this is probably should be renamed here, there and everywhere as well, because they've got a finger in so many pies across so many different businesses. Uh, the, the stock price has done really well recently, but I think there's room for some disappointment. The brokers have been quite positive on this one following their results, um, but it has run pretty hard. I'd be taking profits up here, I must admit. So, okay. um, But it is a very well diversified business, but those supply chain issues, those cost pressures, it's, yeah. um, it, it used to be, the word used to be challenging yeah. um, and then pivot. Now we've got yeah. supply chain and cost yeah. pressures. Yeah, that's whenever the, that's the words for 2022. Uh, Lib asked, asked me to help in the garden on the weekend. I said, no, sorry, supply chain issues. Yeah, uh, exactly. I'm all over that one. Yeah. At the moment. Cost pressures. Uh, yeah. Cost pressures. <laughs> Howard. <laughs> yeah, I mean, on the surface, it looks reasonably good because it's it's got high return on equity, its debt's low, and its earnings per share been growing very slowly, but they've been growing a teeny bit. So uh, it would probably just scrape through on our filters the next time we, we do it in March after everybody's reported. But um, it, it, when you consider that they've complained about the things that have caused them to do badly, and ARB, who's the really big successful company in a slightly similar market with the accessories for four-wheel drives, has reported wonderful growth Yes, they did point out that there were supply chain issues, but their half year is a record half year. They've guided it's the, the actual annual report comes out in another week or so, but they've already given guidance that profits will be up on the year before, revenue will be up on the year before, best half year they've ever had. Yes, supply chain issues has meant it hasn't been quite as good as it could have been, but uh, nonetheless, they're doing very well. So uh, again, uh, you know, if I come back to my sporting analogy earlier, uh, every time I got out, I could have complained about the pitch or something or other, the light, somebody moved across the score uh, sight screen. But somehow or other, you know, on the same pitch, 
uh, really good batsmen manage to score lots of runs. So, uh, uh, you know, management will always find an excuse as to why they've underperformed. Yeah. And at the moment, they have one. It's called COVID and supply chain issues. Yeah, sure. Okay. Howard Coleman from Team Invest, thanks for your time today. Henry Jennings, always great to have you aboard from Marcus today. Appreciate your time. Uh, let's just thanks, recap it. the final uh, five stocks. Kodan, a hold from Henry, a buy from Howard. Meridian, a hold from Henry, no from Howard. Molus, a hold from Henry, no from Howard. HTE, a no from both. Uh, GUD, uh, Henry saying, take some profits at these levels. It's had a big run. We got a dash. If you want these stocks for us to cover, put them in an email to call at osbiz.com.au. Tweet us using the at osbiztv handle. Uh, all the calls, stocks in the fantasy portfolio. Uh, you can see them all, osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. <laughs>